the aim of the Buddhist path is to develop the causes and conditions that will lead, lead us to the end of stress and suffering. In other words, to develop a peacefulness and a happiness in our minds that is unshakable and unconditioned using the process of conditioning to get to the unconditioned. The ultimate happiness is Nibbana, the unconditioned. It's the unborn, uncreated, that which doesn't die and doesn't born, isn't born, it doesn't die. But in cultivating that path, there's many different qualities that lead to happiness. <coughs> we talk about the happiness of giving generosity as an experience when you practice generosity brings happy memories, happy feelings, happy thought formations. When we practice sila, it brings happiness as a result. The happiness of a mind that's free from regret, remorse, free from doubt, guilt, worry. And when we practice mental cultivation, bhavana, meditation, brings happiness and a happiness of samadhi, one-pointedness, then ultimately the happiness that comes <coughs> with wisdom. Wisdom leads to the letting go of unwholesome mental states, the causes and conditions that bring up suffering by abandoning them, having the wisdom, the insight to abandon them, and we experience the ultimate peace and happiness of the mind. Very much integrated as part of that path of practice is the cultivation of the Brahma Vihara Dhammas. the sublime attitudes or divine abidings of the mind. Metta, karuna, mudita, upeka. If you reduce them down, it's really metta and upeka. But when we come to practice, having been inspired by teachers or other practitioners or just reading, hearing Dhamma, one of our prime motiva motivators is metta, goodwill for ourself, 
and also maybe for others seeking to be free from the experience of stress, suffering. We have goodwill. Out of that comes karuna. As you, as you develop goodwill for yourself, for others, then you naturally develop the wish that others will also be free from suffering. Oneself will be free from suffering. One naturally develops the will to abandon those actions that will lead to more suffering. And one wishes others to abandon those actions which leads to more suffering for them. They're very closely related to metta is karuna. And the more we develop these qualities and the more that they're developed in the heart towards all beings, even beings we don't know. Just because we understand the nature of life, of experience, human experience or even beings in other realms, animals or in other realms. We understand that all beings are subject to suffering. Suffering in its nature is something we don't want. It's unpleasant. If you see suffering in your own heart and wish to end it, you naturally appreciate how others will also want to wish to end their suffering. Mudita comes about when you naturally see either your own successful efforts in developing, cultivating true happiness. You appreciate that, you're happy that you're happy, or when you appreciate those efforts in others, you see their actions that have led to happiness arising success in their pra practice and you're happy for others because you know they're ending their suffering at least temporarily or partially. So karuna and mudita grow out of metta, very closely related. Upeka is slightly different. It's equanimity, evenness of mind, very closely linked to wisdom, understanding, but also we develop it through other methods. And we develop evenness of mind in the beginning, particularly through sense restraint, indriya sangwara, the practice of mindfulness, directed to sense contact in our daily life, seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling. The sense doors or the mind itself, the sense doors bring us pleasant and unpleasant objects, experiences, that 
by practicing mindfulness directed to the sense doors, we de develop this evenness of mind towards experience, training ourselves not to fall into craving and attachment based on our reactions and emotions that arise based on pleasant, unpleasant experiences. But we also develop equanimity based on wisdom, understanding the law of karma, how it's working, how we as individuals are the product, product of our own karma. There's a certain acceptance there with equanimity, we accept the way we are. Doesn't mean to say we approve or like everything we see. We're aware we have maybe both wholesome and unwholesome tendencies of mind arising in our lives and spilling out into our actions. But we're aware and accept that we are the product of our karma and we can't change the past. But we can bring mindfulness and wisdom to bear on the present moment. And we can change. But we can't change the past and the karma that we've made has been made. And the good that's been done has been done. The bad that's been done has been done. We can learn from the past, we can learn by reflecting on karma, but we can't change it. So with equanimity applied, we starting to look at our own karma in a more detached way, accepting where we've come to in our lives at this moment, at this point, and reflecting wisely maybe, but not judging or taking it too personally now because we can't change. Change what's been done. Our tendency is when we lose our awareness of karma and equanimity and that wise reflection and we take everything personally. So then we quickly can fall into states of depression, low self-esteem, unhappiness, or we can easily get too elated, excited about pleasant experiences or good things that happen. But the mind of equanimity, we're learning to reflect wisely in an even balanced way on our experience. Not take it quite so personally as before, but to look more with reasoned reflection, understand what has led to what and accept our karma. Then obviously to establish the mind in its intention to develop wholesome karma and abandon the unwholesome karmic tendencies that might arise in our minds or through speech or action. And we extend this out to others as well. There may be those others who we wish to help but again, we have to reflect. They have their karma. We have to accept the way it is. You know, those things we can't control in a, the world around us, in the lives of others, even in the lives of ourselves. We can't control everything. So we have to have a certain level of acceptance. This is also the practice of equanimity and 
in daily life, you might say. Understanding karma, I'm the owner of my karma, heir to my karma, born of my karma, related to my karma, abide supported by my karma. Whatever karma I shall do, good or for ill, of that I will be the heir. That applies to others as well. There are those we wish to help, free them from suffering or prevent them from creating more suffering. But maybe they're not ready to change or to see the error of their ways. So however much you have the wish to help, you have karunt metta or karuna, no change takes place. So sometimes we have to develop equanimity. Or some people we just can't help too far away beyond our means. So these themes, qualities we develop, we develop through meditation and through developing them as themes in daily life. You'll see the Dhamma Vinaya promotes the four Brahma Viharas and we develop goodwill towards each other as bhikkhus, monks, develop compassion, develop tolerance, develop mudita. These qualities are constantly or opportunities to develop these qualities are constantly coming up when you live in as a Buddhist monk. Developing these qualities towards the laity, even towards creatures we meet, animals. Or if you ever feel you've encountered a ghost or some other being, well you can still develop these qualities, metta, karuna. If you were to meet a deva, then you can have mudita for a deva, a being with lots of good karma, lots of merit. Just as we do for humans, you meet teachers, maybe teachers who are enlightened, practice mudita for them. You meet fellow bhikkhus who are going through difficulty in their practice, we develop compassion for them. Sometimes bhikkhus fall sick or have injuries, so we practice metta, karuna for them, and so on. We develop for ourselves and for others in daily life. <coughs> Some of our practices, you might say, are conditioning us to develop the Brahma-viharas. So we have rules and training rules and practices that make us think of others, make us consider others as well as ourselves, consider the community, you know, actions that are beneficial to the community we're actually compelled to do by the Vinaya. So we're compelled to watch our speech and consider what are the words that we speak, are they friendly or not? Our actions, are they friendly or not? We have rules, sometimes quite minor rules, but still rules that affect or bring up a sense of compassion. Say rules like, say, if a lay person drops their valuable in the monastery, you know, jewellery or 
bit of money or something, we actually are obliged to pick it up, look it up, look after them, it for them, till we find them or can get them to claim it. Or if we're staying in a kuti and there's furniture, we're not supposed to leave it out in the rain and the sun where it can be damaged. We have to bring it indoors, when, especially when we leave the kuti. They're small things, but they're expressions of metta and karuna, making life easier for others, taking responsibility for the possessions of the sangha, for the well-being of sangha members and the lay community who had come to the monastery and so on. But we also practice equanimity in daily life. You know, we live in a world that's full of confusion, sometimes violent, unpredictable. We don't always, there's a, a lot we can't control. We might be developing our practice in the monastery and you know, right outside in the city things are going on, some good, some bad. Sometimes we just have to practice equanimity to all of that, to all of that. The reason we practice the Brahma Viharas in daily life is because they all feed back or lead back to developing wholesome states of mind that support the deepening of our meditation practice. So it's very common when you're practicing meditation to regularly, consciously bring up the reflections, say, on metta as we chant, bring up goodwill to oneself. May I be well, free from suffering, free from enmity, hostility. And then develop it towards others as a conscious meditation theme, even if we're not angry or upset with others, we can still develop these on a regular daily basis. It's often a good way to prepare the mind before breath meditation or other meditations that we're doing. And you'll see if you've been consciously developing metta, karuna, mudita, upeka in your daily life, then when you sit down to meditate or your walking meditation, it's just a natural continuity of those practices. And they are very supportive or conducive for the mind to quieten down, to develop contentment, peace, happiness. As you notice, when the mind is happy, content, it's easy to have metta, to have karuna, to have upeka. When one develops metta, karuna, upeka, it leads to peace of mind. So it's like one thing leads back into the other. It's a wholesome cycle. The more metta we have, the easier it is. And the more able we have, are to have more metta. Obviously, as we develop skill in concentrating on the breath or other meditation objects, then the refinement of awareness that we develop again refines those skills. So the depth of the four Brahma Viharas 
we find we, we can deepen them. Your metta is more powerful if your mind is concentrated. It's a more refined, stable object of mind. So one can maybe really heal old wounds, scars, anger that one's had towards people in the past, even long distance past, or even just more daily kind of mundane irritations, ill will with others, people around us and so on. The more concentrated we become, the more powerful the Brahma Viharas have an effect on the mind. And particularly as the continuity of mindfulness develops, say on the breath meditation, then the refinement of equanimity is, becomes more apparent to the mind. You might say in terms of samadhi, then the development of fourth jhana is the, the pinnacle of equanimity. And the mind is so refined, you know, the sense of the body is gone. Completely equanimous towards pleasant, unpleasant feelings towards the world. It's in a state of unshakability. And they say the mind coming out of fourth jhana, reflecting on the Dhamma as it withdraws from that deep state. It's the best, it's in the best position to contemplate the three characteristics of existence, just to observe an impermanence of the five khandhas, form, form, feeling, memory, thought formations, consciousness. And the mind is so cool, and the equanimity so sustained, so still, <coughs> everything else is seen as stressful. You know, even the desire or the attachment to the pleasure of samadhi is seen as stressful. There's still some movement, some becoming in the mind when there's attachment to the bliss of samadhi. That's one of the most important kinds of equanimity. But any level of samadhi, even kanika samadhi, just momentary concentration will bring you one-pointedness, will bring you some equanimity. And this is what stabilizes the mind enough to contemplate in an objective way to, for the mind to look back at experience, and look back at the experience of meditation itself to see how much uh, pleasure or pain was in that experience, how much refinement of mind was in that experience. Look in an objective way, not just attaching to it as, oh, I really like that, that was really good, or that wasn't as good as before, but just objectively to know the experience and to reflect on cause and effect, cause and result. And obviously to reflect on the experience of the candidacy, to reflect on pain with equanimity, with one-pointedness, even a little bit of continuity and mindfulness we can start observing pain in a way a new way before we might have always just taken pain personally and we have this sense that whenever we have some pain in the body it's like somebody is getting at me why do I have this pain who why do I have to experience this we take it personally painful experiences you know physical pain mental pain 
but with some one-pointed equanimity of samadhi and we can reflect on it more as pain rather than my pain. And just know it for what it is. Investigate it to see what kind of pain it is, how how it manifests. You know, sometimes it's just small amount of pain, sometimes deep, sometimes it's spreading, sometimes it's a sharp, piercing pain, comes and goes and so on. With equanimity we can observe pain, we can observe the mind's reaction to pain and see how when there's not much mindfulness or wisdom we create a personal, personal identity around pain. So we make it worse than it is harder to bear than it really needs to be. Much of meditation is working with that, looking at pain just as a sensation. You, know, you don't even have to call it pain. The word pain has so much emotion attached to it, maybe you just call it, oh, there's this sensation. Um, there's this sensation that we're observing here in the meditation. It's like this, it may be hot, intense, difficult, but it's just a sensation. The more equanimity we have, maybe even feelings of pleasure, feelings of rapture, bliss, pleasure can also have a slightly stressful aspect to them. The way the mind gets addicted to pleasure seeking, even the pleasure of meditation. It's obviously a much more subtle thing, a subtle level but equanimity will expose that. Basically, as humans, we tend, when we're not mindful, not wise, we tend to get addicted to everything. We're addict, addicted to pain in the sense we don't like it, don't want it. Addicted to pleasure that we do want it, we want more of it. Mind is constantly grasping. But with some one-pointed and this and then develop some wise reflection we can actually see Vaitana as Vaitana and we're breaking this addiction, breaking the habit always grasping and taking it personally I like this and I don't like that mental and physical So obviously in meditation we're developing the most refined kinds of equanimity and there'll always be, you might say, a deeper level to go. It's only the Arahant who's completely equanimous to all the conditions of the world, physical, mental. There's always more for us to do, but meditation gives us a very clear, direct understanding of equanimity and how it's useful, how you can use it to reflect on our experience. Develop that objectivity of mind, to know something but without getting caught up and mixed up with it. Actually to separate the mind out, to be able to reflect back, look back at itself and its experience rather than always getting caught up in it, identifying with it with a sense of self. So the more we practice, the more we see how the four Brahma-viharas are underlying everything we do, outwardly and inwardly. 
and they're very much themes to keep coming back to over and over again on a daily basis. If ever we're at a loss how to practice, how to use our mind, we'll go back to the Brahma Vihara, see where we can develop more metta, more karana mudita upeka. Out of that, all the other qualities that we need will come. The virtue, the samadhi, the wisdom, the patience, the ability to let go of unwholesome mental states, it all comes out of this. So I'll leave you with these uh, reflections tonight. You can uh, do some Parita chanting.